Happy New Year, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Wednesday Conversation. I'm Bethany Gilbert, and I'm here with Pastor Bob Thune and Pastor Dusty White of Quorumdale Church, and my friend Mike Kresnick, also of Quorumdale Church. Every Wednesday, we sit down to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life, and today we're talking about new stuff for a new year. <laughs> new stuff for a new year. Yay. Is that really what we're talking about? Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Hey, we're back, everyone. <laughs> we back. Happy New Year. We took a few weeks off. Now here we are. We're back. And uh, it's the first episode of a brand new year. Happy 2022. Do you say 2022 or 2022? Which is better? Oh, man. Mm. 2022. Yeah, 2022. It's kind of like when you have a three-year-old. Like, at some point, you got to start stop saying 27 months, you know? Yeah. Like, eventually, you got to say you have a three-year-old. Yeah, but I'm just saying, are we going to say, like, I don't know. 2063? Are we still going to be saying 20? Is, we just, is it just going to be 20s the whole century? It's going to go yeah. eventually to just 2022. 20, because I say 2022, but that's, I might be weird. That's a mouthful. I might be weird. Um, hey, a few, so a few things, you, a few, few announcements for our listeners. First, Mike, you have a story about a pizza shop. Yeah, I ran into a, an old college friend that I hadn't seen in 15 or 20 years, and he comes up to me and he says, hey, I heard your voice on a podcast. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. Uh, tell me more. And uh, he was with his buddy at a pizza shop, I guess, in Kearney, Nebraska, and his buddy was playing the podcast. And uh, yeah, random. Like random over the story. speakers so that yeah. everyone While could listen? While you're eating pizza. Yeah, it, that's that's how he made it sound. Was it was being played in the pizza shop? But I, what I always want with my pizza is the Wednesday conversation. Yeah, yeah. A good podcast. No, that, yeah. that actually, I don't. I don't ever want to listen to a podcast while I'm eating <laughs> pizza. That, that was a total joke. That'd be weird. But thank you, whoever that is in Kearney, Nebraska. I would expect Kearney, Nebraska pizza shops to be playing like old '80s music. Yes. Well, apparently, we're at least as good as old '80s music. <laughs> that's what that tells you. Maybe. Maybe we're the pre-dinner listening. They'll send us some pizza to eat. Ooh. Oh, I like that idea. But so it needs to be delivered fresh. <laughs> another, uh, I would eat pizza right now if it was Me right too. here. There's also, no uh, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky at this institute that I'm a part of, you know, for a couple of years. And uh, Clay Davis, shout out to Clay Davis. He's at, we're at lunch and he's talking about the metaverse. And I'm not at his table. He's at the table behind me, but I hear him over talk or I, I over what, what did over I hear? Here? I yeah. overhear him yeah. talking to his table uh, about the metaverse. And so afterwards, I'm like, hey, we, uh, me and my friends, we, we have this podcast. We did an episode on the metaverse. He goes, yeah, I know. I, I've listened to it for years. But didn't, was never going to tell me. Like, <laughs> he was just going to hang out at the like, next table. We're part of the same thing for the last year. Yeah. Doesn't say a word. He doesn't want it to go to your head. He doesn't no. want you to be too, yeah. too impressed. Also, he lives in Middleton, Ohio which is where J.D. Vance is from. Oh, yeah, sure. The Hillbilly Elegy yeah. guy. And, uh, yeah, shout out to them. They're they're uh, preaching the gospel in, in a city that needs it. In Middleton, Ohio. Hey, a uh, little announcement for 2022. We've made an executive decision here at the Wednesday Conversation, and it is this. We are going to release podcasts every other week instead of every week. Some of you are going to feel like, oh, man, that's a bummer. Some of you are going to feel like, that's about how often I listen anyway. And some of you are going to be like, uh, why are we making that change? The simple answer is, well, there's a couple of reasons. One, because I think it will allow us to do better, less things better. Mm. Uh, 
and I think uh, our conversations will be more robust, more thoughtful. Um, and also, I think sometimes it's overwhelming to me, at least in my workflow, to put out a podcast every week. There's just weeks where that's difficult in terms of staying on top of what's going on and reading and doing the prep for the for the show. And uh, Because we do other things. I was going to say, we all have other jobs. Besides, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> none sure of us do. make any money to be on this podcast. There's no sponsors, as you know. There are no advertisements. There, We're not selling anything. So we just do this for free on the side. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have other things we need to give ourselves to. So uh, first and third Wednesdays. And then when there's a fifth Wednesday of the month, of course, we'll just have a nice little bonus episode coming your way. Might be something from the archives. Might be something we record on the side. But um, from now on, your feed will refresh every other week in 2022 rather than every week. And, um, you know, if you love that, let us know. If you hate that, let us know. Um, you know, maybe we'll change that going forward. It's just we're going to try it out for uh, six months or 12 months and, and see how it works, see how that flow works for us as the content creators and see how it works for you as the listeners. And so that'll be the change for this year. Um, which means every other episode will be Herman Bobbink because it's going to be third Wednesday, basically every other episode. And that's a big book. So it's going to take us a <laughs> minute to get through it. We're going to be going through it for the rest of the year, at least. All right, Bethany, what are we talking about today? Well, today we are going to, you guys are going to answer some questions for me. Ooh. Questions like, what are you reading? Because I see you have quite a few books here at this table. And what are you watching and what are you listening to? Just bring people into to those things. What's what's going on? So let's. I think we should start by what are you guys reading? Because, because we clearly, clearly we have some books. reading material yes. in front of us. Mike, I'm going to let you go first. Okay. So a book I just recently finished is Andrew Peterson's The God of the Garden. Um, he, it's essentially a personal memoir. He goes back through his childhood memories and uh, pinpoints these memories based around trees. And in that, he kind of does this biblical theology of trees as well, um, how trees are used in, in Scripture. Um, so it's just a real beautiful um, artistic telling of his life, but also wrapping it into God's story. Um, I'm also currently reading Saved by the Gospel by Timothy Looks Keller. Like that says, or shaped. shaped by the Gospel. Oh, goodness. Shaped by the Gospel. <laughs> you are saved by the Gospel. <laughs> say, yep, I was reading it upside down as well. Shaped by the Gospel, uh, Timothy Keller. It's actually um, broken out sections of his book, Center Church. Um, we're reading this in our leadership training cohort right now. Um I've read Center Church before. Uh, it's just good, refreshing. It's so good. Just like, okay, we've been saying these things for years because we've been learning from him, and then rereading them is like, oh, that's where that came from. If you're a pastor or a church leader and you don't have Tim Keller's Center Church on yourself, marked up with lots of pages dog-eared, what yeah. are you doing? Go yeah. get that book. Wow. It's a great I, book. I just got convicted. But yeah, like the way he... Um, uh, lays out the gospel and how it how it changes and, and shapes us is uh, uh, really good and refreshing. Looks and like he involves other people contributing. Is that right? Um, apparently, Michael Horton and Dane Ortland. So cool. In this in this new edition, and then one I'm going to commit to reading for the rest of the year. Of course, you are. Is the Oxford Handbook of Christmas. It is. I didn't think I needed a handbook for Christmas, <laughs> but apparently I do. It, it, it is, is a yeah. very large book. It's very large. It's a large reference w- volume, Incl- including the index. It's over six hundred pages. Whoa! Um, 
It's uh, 45 chapters on Christmas, historical, cultural. Um, it looks at music and art and practices. Uh, and if you know me well, I love Christmas time. And uh, it intrigues me to know how the rest of the world celebrates it and um, why we celebrate are the way we do. Are you sad that tomorrow is the end of Christmas? Um, I mean, tomorrow's January 6th. Right. Yes and no. Because Christmas is just the beginning of the story. See, there it is. There it is. If you're new to the Wednesday conversation, maybe in the last two years, what you need to know about Mike is that he tries to celebrate Christmas all year long. <laughs> he like gets his lights up before Target sells them and <laughs> he just takes them down. I did beat Target to needing lights Valentine's this year. Day. Yes. Uh, yeah. So cool. I love Christmas and I love learning about it. And uh, yeah, that. Uh, there's 600 pages I'm I'm looking forward to reading this year. Awesome. Dusty White? Uh, I'm currently reading four books uh, because sometimes books, you know, you got to chop it up a oh, little bit. Oh, you're looking at a photo of your books. I'm looking like, at a is, photo of my books. What am I looking books? at yeah, on yeah. your phone? So uh, the book that I'm going to, like, here's the thing. I have this pastor friend in Lincoln, and anytime a book gets mentioned, he, like, orders it. He's like that guy. Yep. So I don't want to be that person. So if you are going to order any of these, the one that I love the most this year is the Golden Booklet of the True Christian Life by John Calvin. Oh, yeah. It's a tiny little yeah, yeah, yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, read that read that, and read it again uh, on a day of solitude. Um, also reading what God has to say about our bodies, or I, I guess I'm done with that one, but I keep thumbing through it. Oh, I used Sam a couple Hallberry. quotes from that one recently in a sermon. I did. Yeah, those um, were good quotes. And then Blair Lynn's book, Finding My Father, she writes about uh, her story of uh, God stepping in to be her father. So I'm always interested in stories like that uh, because of my own story and because of the pastoral work uh, that's in front of us. But the book that is troubling right now to me is the book, What is a Girl Worth? by Rachel Denhollander. She's the gymnast that spoke out against Larry Nasser and yeah. US gymnastics. The, uh, my friend Paul, our friend Paul, sums up that book by saying, it's a book where you can do everything right and evil still happens. Mm. And that's the troubling part about this book. She's a really good writer. It's a really good story. But you're also like, man, this is terrible stuff. So... um. So I'm, uh, I, I, w- I won't say I'm enjoying that book, but it is a really helpful book to me pastorally, be- especially in a world where, you know, everything's abuse and everything's trauma. And so now nothing is trauma and nothing is abuse. And those are really important categories that we have to um, s- hold special lines to, I feel like, and stay true to. And she's pretty helpful in that conversation. Mm-hmm. That's good. Uh, I have two books with me today, friends. <clears throat> These are just the two that I brought there. It's not all the books <laughs> that I'm, I'm reading right now, but uh, two that I have really, really enjoyed. The first is You Are Not Your Own by Alan Noble. Uh, this one came out a few months ago, and I picked it up just before Christmas or just before Thanksgiving and read it um, over Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays. The subtitle is Belonging to God in an Inhuman World. Here's how I've described this book. Uh, if 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 the, if Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, was a little thick for you, if there's a little, t- if you heard us talking about that and you're like, 
Like we had a friend who tried to yeah. read that book, and then she was giving me <laughs> crud. Like, they used the word prolegomena in the first 10 pages, and I had to get up my dictionary. <laughs> I get it. Um, well, this Alan Noble is doing something similar. What, what he's basically doing is, in a, very, in a much, much more accessible way, a much less scholarly way, he's essentially saying, hey, the modern world um, does something to us, and it's not hospitable to, to human beings. Mm. Um, that's when he, when he talks about belonging to God in an inhuman world, uh, that's what he's really talking about is, hey, we live in a society that's not built for human beings. And so he basically, the reason I like this book is because it's super simple. He's basically making one point. Now he does it brilliantly. He's a very good writer. And some of the stuff he writes is just so thoughtful. But he basically says, hey, there's two ways of living. There's you belong to yourself and there's you are not your own. Uh, of course, he's getting you're not your own from Second uh, Corinthians or, or mm-hmm. First Corinthians, um, where it, you know it's First Corinthians where it's talking about sexual immorality and says you, you you're, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. So, so that he's saying that's the Christian point of view is you don't belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus Christ, and that has implications and for what it means for you to live life. The world we live in is a world of you belong to yourself. You have to create your own identity. You have to decide what's right according to your own uh, logic. You belong to yourself. You, you're not beholden to anybody else. What's fascinating is this is not a book that's like, here's what the world thinks. Here's what Christians think. It's a book that actually what he's doing is, I think, really interesting natural theology because he basically says, hey, the problem with the idea that you belong to yourself is that we live in a world that's built around that idea, but since that idea isn't true, it it, it destroys us. Mm. Um and, and so we live in this world where we've bought into that idea, but we can't actually, that can't sustain the lives we really long for. <clears throat> and so the whole first half of the book is him saying, hey, let me show you that you live in a world that believes you are your own, you belong to yourself. But then let me show you how that way of thinking destroys community, friendship, meaning. Like he, he just he just does a really thorough job talking about how inhuman the world we live in is. And then he contrasts that with, hey, if we really believed that we were not our own, here's what that here's what that world would look like. And what's fascinating is he um, he's really helped me as a pastor in a couple ways. He he named some things finally that I was like, that has always bothered me. And someone's finally explaining it in a way that I feel like, oh, that's that's powerful. So he has this whole section on recycling. This is this that got you. Well, yeah, <laughs> because I care about recycling. It drives, you know, like I had at staff retreat this year, I was like, hey, we're not using plastic water bottles anymore at Coram Deo by declaration of me. But then people keep showing up with plastic water bottles and it <laughs> makes me a little frustrated. But uh, he has this whole section on, hey, so we live in a world that tells you like you need to recycle and recycling is good and it's virtuous and it, it cares, you know, it's a way to care for the world. So you recycle. And, uh, but here's the problem. We live in a world that's not built for human beings. We live in a world that's all about scale and efficiency. And so what we do is we pack all your recyclables on a barge and we ship them over to China. And then guess what happens? Then they just get like dumped into some Chinese person's life. And now it's their job to deal with your recyclables. And we call that recycling. But he says, actually, that's, it's a totally inhuman way of thinking about sustainability. But that's the world we live in. And so he's, he says what's frustrating about that is even if you care about that and try to do your best to live a life of integrity in your own little neighborhood, there's still a huge global massive problem that you can't solve. And that's what it means to live in an inhuman world. It means that we've built a whole world that revolves around. I mean, he basically says, look, this, this was all built by the fact that we believe in, you know, 
disposable plastics. Why? Because you belong to yourself and it's the easiest way for you to get what you need. And, mm. you know, it's the, it's, it simplifies everything and makes everything, you know, packageable and marketable. And it's, it's <laughs> the whole reason we live in this world is because we bought into the idea that we belong to ourselves and we want things to be easy and cheap mm. and mm-hmm. accessible. And so it's, that was one of the fascinating things he does. And then the other thing, he has this section um, in the second part where he basically says, hey, when Christians who believe that I'm not my own are trying to live in a world that's all built around you belong to yourself, it creates a ton of tension. And so we just have to do our best to live in the tension. And, and like we're, we're supposed to be a community that's like countercultural. We're living by a different story, but we still have to live in this world where the whole thing is built around the idea that you belong to yourself. And that's going to create um, tension for people. And so here's where Alan Noble really helped me, and I won't be able to pull up the, the page and the quote, but he has this section in the book where he talks about people who make less good choices. And he says, um, hey, we need to have grace for the fact that um, sometimes people make less good choices, not sinful. Bad. He says, I'm not talking about sin. I'm just talking about like the person who like, Work is really hard, and so they come home and binge watch Netflix all night. Mm-hmm. Not not like porn or anything sinful, but just like they're just they're not maximizing what you might think they should do with their time. Like it's a it's a less good choice. And he says, and people do that, and sometimes we need to speak into those people's lives and say, hey, you need to you need to think about how God wants you to steward your time. But he says also sometimes that's just people making the best of a really inhuman world. Like it's 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 a less good choice, but we live in a world where. There's, it's so works against our humanity mm. that we got to have grace for the fact that, that sometimes we just need to have, have margin and grace for people making less good choices. Mm. And it really helped me as a pastor because I'm a little bit of an idealist, you know, mm. and I want people to like always do the best thing. And uh, man, it was really helpful for me to think about, no, I need to have grace for people not always doing the best thing and th- realize that that part of it's, it's the world we live in. Mm-hmm. that creates part of that tension, just that we're, we're living in a world that's not made for human flourishing. Um, so anyway, I'm going to read that book again. Mm. I got through it um, before Christmas, and it's just one of those books I was like, man, I read it fast. I want to go back through it again and read it slow. I think it's profound. Um, what does he do different than Carl Truman? Other well, than he's like not so, he, you know, he's, he's not trying to teach you about Rousseau and Kant. And, got it. You know, he, he's yeah. not doing philosophy. Got it. He's basically saying, hey, let me tell you how, why life frustrates you. Mm. You know, and he just like walks through recycling, things like recycling, yeah. things like work and, you know, like um, things like the when you call the customer service line and it's actually a, someone across overseas who doesn't speak English very well. And their whole job is basically just to get you off the phone. They're not actually trying to solve your problem. You know, he, he just walks through. This is what it means to live in an inhuman world. And so it's, it's much more existential. I feel like you can yeah. read it and you find yourself nodding going, yes, that has totally happened to me. Mm-hmm. Why does that happen? Um, so it's less. He's not trying to do intellectual history. Mm-hmm. He's just trying to do, here's the world you live in, and here's why it's frustrating to you. Because actually, you're not your own, mm-hmm. and you're trying to honor Jesus with your life, and you believe that you belong to him. And so that's good, but it's going to make it challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really interesting book. All right, sorry, that was all my first book. <laughs> Jeez. That was a long monologue on my first you book. You want to do two episodes on this, Beth? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> here's my second book. Um Gavin Ortland's book, Retrieving Augustine's Doctrine of Creation. Mm. Uh, there's a little dust up a few months ago. Uh, uh, let me think. Who's the guy I'm thinking of? Uh, William Lane Craig wrote a piece in First Things, uh, making a case for a non-historical view of Adam. 
Adam and Eve. And uh, it was an interesting piece, but you can understand how it rankled some people. There were some good rejoinders written to that piece. Peter Lightheart wrote a very thoughtful critique of William Lane Craig. But then Owen Strand just flamed William Lane Craig on Twitter. Just like, basically, this guy's left orthodoxy. He's gone off the rails. He obviously doesn't believe the Bible anymore. And Gavin Ortland filmed a little video on his YouTube channel and just said, hey, hold on. Um, this is a conversation we should be able to have. And the question of how to read the book of Genesis is a question that the church has wrestled with for years. And I don't know that I agree with William Lane Craig, but I certainly don't want to call him a heretic. Like, we, we should be having conversation. This is what theological inquiry looks like, is wrestling with good questions about how to read the text. So in this little video, he said, you could, you could check out my book on Augustine if you want to think more about this. And I was like, well, I didn't know you had written a book on Augustine. I'm going to go get that. So I went and bought this book. It's uh, Gavin Ortland just doing theological retrieval. He's basically teaching you, the reader, about St. Augustine's view of creation. And uh, it's very, very interesting. I'm not all the way through it yet. It's very helpful because what Gavin Ortland's basically saying is, is that Augustine spent most of his life, he wrote two commentaries on the book of Genesis, and he was just fascinated with, like, how are we to understand this? And what, what Gavin Ortland shows is a lot of the questions surrounding, especially how should we read the creation accounts and how do we deal with the first three chapters of Genesis, those are not modern questions. Augustine had the same questions. And what you sometimes hear from people who uh, have a very literal view of Genesis or who argue for a particular hermeneutic of Genesis is they say, hey, the whole church didn't have any problems with Genesis until Darwin. And you know, now that everybody's scientific, that's, that's the enemy, is like Darwinistic evolutionary views of, of human origins. And that's the only thing that has made us sort of ask these questions. Well, Gavin Orland says, no, Augustine was asking these things in 400 A.D., and he was not working from a Darwinian understanding of science, but he was reading the Bible and asking some questions about, hey, if God didn't create the sun and the moon until day four, what does it mean that there was evening and morning on days one through three? Like, that's confusing, right? Like, he's just, he's letting the text drive questions and asking, what does that mean about what a day is in Genesis? And so this is a really interesting book um, because I don't, every time there's a modern controversy of how to read the Bible, I just like to read somebody who is not modern, you know, who's like, take me out of the current milieu and let me go back in time and read someone who didn't have the same questions we have. <clears throat> and um, this book is really interesting for that reason. So there you go. Retrieving Augustine's Doctrine of Creation. Did Owen apologize for flaming that guy? Oh, no, Twitter? he doubled down. Wow. He doubled down. Okay. I mean, you know, it's, it's a little, I mean, the, there's a little bit of theological controversy maybe there, uh, meaning, you know, people are free to disagree on how sure. we should read Genesis and sure. free to fight with each other about it. I just think there's, Gavin Olin made a really good appeal for, hey, this is a place where we need to have a lot of uh, room and Christian charity because these have been questions for thousands of years. The only thing I've been, I've been catching up on my like Bible reading plan. That is that the way. only thing I've been reading. Hey, good so, for you. There you go. It's great. Bible. Highly recommended. <laughs> <laughs> Way better 10 than out of 10. this stuff. <laughs> what are you guys watching? Uh, I watched two episodes of the Beatles documentary. Get Back. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Toast, do you look surprised? I went to a Beatles cover band. <laughs> Not the week. same. So now I want to watch it. Well, 
I, I left there going, I need to dive into the Beatles. You mean to cover it like, did they like pretend they were the Beatles? They were just no, playing their no, songs. No. They, they, just they play, play their, their songs. songs very, very well. Oh, really? They, okay. They, they just like have specialized in playing the Billy, Beatles. Songs. Billy McGuigan. Yep. Say Local his name. Guy. Wow. No, I can't say his name, Mike. You know the guy. Cool. That's a, I'm, I just watched that. I don't know. Two <laughs> episodes. <laughs> fun. I found it really interesting, but I like art. I like creativity. So, what do you find interesting about this period of the Beatles in particular? Well, th- see, that question assumes that I know there are various okay. Beatles. I, I don't know anything about the Beatles. Yeah. I used to drive Kendall Howe crazy because I was like, dude, why are you like the Beatles? So what? They're a band. He was like, no, do they change the history of music? I was like, well, maybe. Does that sound familiar, Bethany? <laughs> maybe a little bit. Okay. Okay. Why? Because I am deeply in love with the Beatles and Bethany has that does not understand I think I questioned it at yeah. one point yeah. very early on when I was on staff and you were like, what? Yeah. So. yeah I, can, I mean, watching that documentary is really interesting to me because I can't, uh, you know, in some sense, I don't think anybody transcends like, hmm. you know, you, you, to be a generational talent in something, you have to be really, really, really good. Yeah. You know, there's a Mozart and there's a Da Vinci and whatever. And I think the Beatles certainly pop, probably were that for pop music in the in the middle of the 20th century. But I will say, watching Paul McCartney and John Lennon, like watching their artistic back and forth, is yeah. really fast. You just realize, like, these were two unique talents. Mm-hmm. And then you have George Harrison too. Like, they're, they're just—it is really fascinating to think about. These guys just happened to go to high school together yeah. and form a band when they were fifteen. Yeah. And holy cow, how did they all end up in the same band? Because it's amazing. Yeah. To hear them, or to, like to see them, just like noodling around and like playing stuff, yeah. and then hear it turn into a song mm-hmm. that you recognize is. In a matter of minutes, it's so It is cool. crazy, yeah. Been watching Welcome to Earth by Will Smith. Uh, well, he's he's like on this journalistic journey. Oh, this is this, like a National Geographic kind yeah, of thing, right? it's on Disney Plus, National Geographic. I like Will Smith. I know that people, you know, like... Will Smith is awesome. There's some listeners who are going to be like, how could you like Will Smith? He's got such a shady marriage, which maybe he does. I don't know. But he's, I just he's, like his personality. Because he was the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, man. Yeah, yeah, he's the Fresh Prince. Don't hate on the Fresh Prince. I just like his, like he's he's basically saying, I've been doing all this stuff with my life, but I've never seen the world. And this is a chance to see the world. How do I get that job? Man, I've never seen the world either. <laughs> Imagine being like, I think this is what I want to do next. Bring a camera guy, you know? Yeah. So it's it's really fun. Been watching it with my family. Um, my wife and I, um, we've been going down the '90s sitcom memory lane. So uh, Mad About You and Seinfeld have been uh, on our recently watched. Um, uh, I also been watching Netflix comedy specials. Who's who's your guy, Bob? Nate. 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 Bargazzi. Nate, he's so funny. He's amazing. His 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 uh specials are funny and uh Mike Birbiglia. Um I love Mike Birbiglia. Yeah, so good. That's it. What have you been watching, Bethany? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> well, thanks for asking. <laughs> um no, if you know me, you know that a very large part of my heart is set aside for musical theater and my absolute favorite musical of all time is West Side Story. So I was, I think I even predicted this. I tweeted this years ago, like back in 2012. I, I can go back and find it. I said, inevitably, or someday, inevitably, somebody is going to remake West Side Story, and it better be freaking amazing. Steven Spielberg did, and it is. Does Steven so, Spielberg wow. follow you on Twitter? 
No, he doesn't. He should, though. Not yet. <laughs> what if he got that <laughs> idea got from so you? So many ideas. Maybe he did. Yeah. Maybe he did. I don't know. But, um, yeah. So Where do we find this? I mean, it's in theaters oh, okay. currently. Okay. Uh, if you're not a musical person, which I get, people, just like I'm not a Marvel Universe person, mm-hmm. um, I, I get it. But I would really encourage you to go see it in the theaters. The music is fantastic. It's Stephen Sondheim, who's my favorite uh, musical theater lyricist, composer of all time. Sorry. Sorry. You're I learning so much love about it. I'm this learning is, I'm so like, this much. This is when I come alive, <laughs> when I talk about musical theater. Um, yeah, so it's just a beautiful retelling. You know, it's the story of Romeo and Juliet, um, but with beautiful music and amazing dancing, and it's great. Go see it. And then listen to the music. That's that's what I'm listening to as well. It's, mm. it's wonderful. I did have an area of growth when it came to watching something. I went and paid money to watch Spider-Man in the theater. Well, wow. Ooh, what'd you think? Well, my kids did. I, was I didn't go yet. None of you said that. I know. I Number one. I, the v, my vote is still out. Here's on what movie. I first thought. I paid money to do this, and nobody checked my ticket, which reminded me of <laughs> high school when I could just, <laughs> like, just walk in there. When your brother and I could just walk <laughs> into movies. You know? I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like telling my kids, why do we pay money for this? We could have just walked in. No, I'm kidding. Um, but also not kidding. <laughs> it would have taken a person with a job to check the ticket. Seriously. You, know? so, you can't afford to pay people to work uh, there. My thought is, Mike, I enjoyed it more than I expected. Yeah, you did. Mostly because they pulled in all the other Don't spoil. Things. Oh, so I see. So I have to see all they the other things. pulled in some other to things. To enjoy. So that's Too what, much work. See, Too wow. much work. And you can't do that. I will say... It led to me watching an old Spider-Man, which, spoiler alert, I'm just saying, saying, that doesn't happen for me, so that's, you know, maybe it's Christmas break. We're going to have to put spoiler alert in the Listen, I don't don't know what he spoiled. see, he doesn't even know. When I watch it now, I'll be like, oh yeah, Dusty told me that was going to happen. And also, if you're a Marvel person, you've already seen it twice in the theater. Exactly, which is half, 90% of our listeners. The people who care about it have already seen it. I heard it's already grossed over a billion dollars globally, so it's... It's made a lot of money in the last three weeks. Made money off me without even checking my ticket. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happens. Bob, we took our daughters, not at the same time, but to, to see Hamilton. We did. What did you think? I love Hamilton. It's amazing. I love that you guys love Hamilton. I, yeah. That yeah. makes me happy. I wa- So I got introduced to it because my kids were watching it on Disney+, Plus and I was like, what is this? I was like, oh, this is Hamilton. This, people have been talking about this for like four years, and I've never, I, just, I just chose not to care. It's kind of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I was like, oh, I'll, I'm just choosing not to care right now. But then they were watching it, so I, I started watching it with them. I was like, wow, this is really interesting. And uh, and then I, uh, yeah, I kind of got hooked. I was like, oh, this is actually not just interesting. This is amazingly creative. And so I loved, I mean, I I loved watching it on Disney+. Plus. It was way better to go in person, even though the, you know, it wasn't the, the cast that's like the original cast. Mm-hmm. But, man, the actors were really good. I enjoyed, you know. It was fun to feel like, oh, I'm taking my kids to a cultural thing. Yes. You know, like I'm paying really, really good money to go watch something in person. And this is what, this is like what people used to do. Instead of binge watching things at home, they would go to the theater and take in a wonderful play. And I was frustrated by how many, uh, like yoga pants and sweatpants people I saw. Yeah. People don't know how to go to the theater these days. Yeah. I said, said, Lena, we're dressing up. When you go to the theater, you dress up. And then I'm seeing people walk around in like 
Pajamas. Pajamas. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's. I mean, we did. You remember the episode we did like six years ago on how to yeah, dress? how to dress? Yeah. It's yeah. Like we need to go back to that wow. episode on. A, it's just like wear. Learn how to dress. Learn yeah. how to go to the theater. Yes. Don't wear your freaking yoga clothes. No. Don't show up in sweats. Come on, man. It's the theater. It's like an, I can't even talk about that because I'll just get going. You know. Well, it's funny. My Don't mom, get I had, me started. Because my kids were talking to my mom about it uh, over Christmas. And my, mo- I, my mom was like, my mother, one of her things was we had to go to one major cultural event every year. An opera, a mm. symphony, a play. And it was just like, it was her thing. She was just like, look, we're doing it. And, you know, my brother and I were like <laughs> punks. We were like, why do we got to go to a mall and the night visitors? What in the world is that? You know, mom, for real. <laughs> it's mom. like, mom, can we just stay home and play video games? Uh, but, you know, to her credit, she, her thing was like, no, this is like to be a cultured person. You need to know how to like appreciate an opera, how to go to a play. How, like these are things you need to know. And so to her credit, even though I was a pain, she raised me to understand when you go to the theater. Yeah, you dress a certain way and, you know, it's a, it's a nice outing. So yeah, thanks, mom. Mom's for the win. That's right. All right. Well, I mean, we've talked about what, seven or eight books? Some things. Yeah. Some, some shows. Some shows some and plays. Some things. Uh, what else, anything else you want to talk that, about, Bethany? Anything no, else you, you want guys, to know? This is great. Here, here you are, listeners, kicking off your year with some things to put on your radar for reading, listening, watching, um, and simply enjoying the, the goodness of God in the world. So we'll see you in a couple of weeks for the next episode of Herman Bovink, Third Wednesday Theology. Wednesday, January, what will it be? I don't oh, know, but Chris 19th. better be here. Chris better be here because we cannot do a Bovink episode on our own. I'll tell you that. The 19th, January 19th. That'll be Third Wednesday Theology. Those are a long ways away. Listeners, thanks for uh, coming back with us for a new year, and we'll see you in a few weeks. The goal of this podcast is to equip our own church for discipleship and mission. So if you're a Christian or a church leader in another context, we thank you for listening in, and we pray that this conversation might be helpful to you as you minister in your context. We'd love to hear from listeners, so if you have thoughts, questions, or future podcast topics, send an email to podcast at cdomaha.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Wednesday Conversation.